Amen. Kids up through fifth grade are dismissed to your classrooms. The rest of us, we will continue in worship uh, by turning in our Bibles to the book of Luke. Book of Luke, we are continuing in our series on the parables. Uh, And so this morning is the parable of the rich fool found in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. Uh, As you're turning there, just a few things I want to say. First of all, um, next Sunday, the 18th, Andy and Hope London are celebrating their 30th wedding anniversary, which is awesome. And uh, congratulations, guys. Yep. And they're going to be having a vow renewal, and I'm going to be performing it. It's going to be the second time I've ever performed a vow renewal. The first time was when I was, I think, eight years old. I performed one for my parents, and now this is the second one. So I'm going to, I'll probably have a few updated notes since then, but uh, uh, they just wanted to uh, throw out an invitation. It's going to be uh, next Sunday, uh, right here at the church at 1.30, and uh, if you want to come, you're celebrate them, you are more than welcome to do that. Uh, secondly, just wanted to uh, once again draw your attention to uh, the resources that are uh, out in the uh, Connection Center. Um, Liz and uh, Jerry and Craig have pulled together what they say are the best resources uh, for all sorts of things. And so um, I just want to encourage you to go. And uh, it's, it's, uh, they have one or two copies of each thing, so you can buy it here if you want. But it's not for that. It's more for you to just kind of see what, uh, what uh, your leaders uh, think are really good resources to be in your hands. And then you just snap a picture of it, and you want to order it on Amazon later or something. We're not, we're not trying to sell things to make money. It's just for you uh, to have these resources as uh, what we would say are going to help you and your family grow in your faith this summer. We want you to take the opportunity this summer uh, to grow. And so just encourage you, if you didn't stop by the table on your way in, make sure you uh, check it out on your way out. And then finally, um, just wanted to uh, uh, call attention to, Roger told us that uh, Dustin Kay, our missionary partner in South, South Asia, that's easy for me to say, church. Our missionary partner in South Asia is, thank you, is going to um, be visiting us. And this is a really big deal. He doesn't come around very often. And uh, it was kind of a last minute, unexpected kind of trip. And so there he's uh, going to be in Ohio, but he's making a special trip to Indiana just to see us. Uh, he came, uh, he was a part of our service that we had a couple years ago. Some of you might remember him, others, uh, most of you maybe not, but it was phenomenal. Um, and you're you're not going to want to miss it. And so there's two reasons. For, so first of all, you should come because it's going to be amazing. Uh, and just the stories he's going to have to share are going to be amazing. But secondly, we want to be an encouragement to him. And uh, he, is, he and his family are out there on the front lines of the unreached, unengaged peoples. And they are doing the hard work of learning language right now. And we are a supporting church of theirs. And there's nothing more discouraging than coming back to a supporting church and nobody shows up. And so I'm not trying to put a guilt trip on you, but I am trying to put a guilt trip on you. And so uh, if you can make, if you at all can make it, we're even serving you dinner. Uh, and so it's Thursday the 29th, correct? Put it on your calendar. Christopher says put it on your calendar, right? Christopher has no qualms about putting a guilt trip, just to, just to be clear. Uh, put it on your calendars right now, 6 o'clock Thursday here. And we just want to have that time to encourage them. But truly, you will leave more encouraged um, by being a part of that. So please come. And that's all I have to say about that. Okay. So we are in Luke chapter 12, verses 13 to 21. I'm going to read the parable in its entirety, and then we will pray. Someone in the crowd said to him, meaning Jesus, 
Teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he, Jesus, said to him, Man, who made me judge or arbitrator over you? And he said to them, Take care and be on your guard against all covetousness, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. And he told them a parable, saying, The land of a rich man produced plentifully, and he thought to himself, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, we are um, just so grateful to gather together uh, to sing your praises, to sing the truth of the gospel. Um, we have been set free from a life of bondage to sin and shame. We've been adopted into the household of God. We are indwelt by the Holy Spirit. And we have the promise of eternity. And so, Lord, in light of those things, uh, may you make your word clear to us in regards to how you want us to think about uh, life on this earth now and our possessions and our stuff and, um, and time. So, Lord, may you just encourage us and equip us through this time in your word to be more faithful servants, more joyful servants in the household of the Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, the definition of cringeworthy is causing feelings of acute embarrassment or awkwardness. Let me use it in a sentence. Uh, Mac Harpel thought it was cringeworthy when I started my sermon by reading the definition of cringeworthy. Correct? Yeah. We've all had these moments in our lives. The word cringe comes from the root word to bend. And uh, I know every single one of us in here like, can think of a time in your life when I say, what's that time? And you're like, ooh, I was so awkward. I can't believe I said that thing. I can't believe I did that thing, right? Have we all raised your hand if you have a thing? Okay, yeah, so, uh, and the rest of you are lying. Yeah, that's right. All of us do. Or, you're, never mind, yeah. So, uh, <laughs> self-editing going on right there. We all have those moments in our lives. If you're blessed to be a pastor's wife, you get to have those moments on a weekly basis vicariously through your husband and what kind of crazy things he's going to say up in front of people. But uh, you should be thankful uh, because no matter how embarrassing your most cringeworthy moment was, at least it wasn't captured in the pages of scripture to be studied by Christians for the rest of time. Because that's exactly what happened to this poor guy at the beginning of our story here. And thankfully for him, 
He is allowed to remain nameless. Uh, that's the, the authors of Scripture have mercy on him, and uh, we don't ever learn his name. But his cringeworthy moment of his life is forever enshrined in Luke chapter 12. And the beginning of chapter 12 uh, sets the scene for us about what's going on. Jesus is teaching to a crowd of thousands of people. They're all trampling over each other like they're trying to get Taylor Swift tickets just to like see Jesus and hear his teaching. And he is teaching to this large crowd and uh, he's doing what he does when he teaches. And if you have time this week, you should go back and read some of the things he's teaching. But he's teaching like no one had ever taught before. He's teaching with authority He's saying the most profound truths about the nature of the kingdom of God and the Messiah's place, his own place in bringing about that kingdom. And right in the middle of his teaching to these thousands of people, someone probably up front decides he's going to interrupt because he's got a thing that he wants Jesus to uh, mediate. And uh, he he raises his hand and he says, teacher... Tell my brother to give me my half of the inheritance. That's, this is awkward. We're supposed to feel that way. This is cringeworthy. Uh, He's decided right here in front of all these people, in front of this great teacher, not to mention the son of God, that he's going to air his family's dirty laundry just for everyone to see. Just, whoo, this is what's going on in my family. And, uh, And that's how the story starts. Jesus is teaching this crowd, and this guy decides the best use of Jesus' time and thousands of people's, all these people gathered's time is uh, for him to mediate this family dispute right in front of everyone. And uh, we should read this and be like, what's wrong with this guy? Jesus wasn't talking about these things. He's talking about something completely different. This guy had an agenda, and he was going to, as soon as Jesus took a breath, he was going to butt in, and he was going to say his thing. And, uh, and uh, we should all feel a little bit of pity when we look at him. And then at the same time, what do we say that the pages, the characters in Scripture should always do, right? It's like holding up a mirror to ourselves, and... Um, the, the characters in Scripture are never there for you to feel superior to them, right? It's always for us to see kind of our own selves and our own sin nature reflected in them. And so even though none of you would do something as embarrassing as what this guy did, here's what I wonder. I wonder how often we approach Jesus with our own agenda regardless of what he's trying to teach you. How do you approach Jesus is the question. Do you approach Jesus with an open heart? Whatever you want to teach me today, Jesus, I'm ready to listen to that. Or do you approach Jesus with your own agenda? Jesus, I have this question and you better answer it. I don't care what you're trying to teach. I know you got a whole lot of stuff you're trying to say, but you better answer my question for me right now. Ouch, right? Anyone relate to that this morning? Jesus, I have this problem, and you better fix it. Jesus, that person is doing something wrong to me. Tell them what's up. Right? Oh, man. Are we not prone to be actually exactly like this guy in the way that we approach Jesus? 
let me ask you, how big of a deal was this guy's issue with his brother, right? His, his brother is, he, is, so this is probably the younger brother. The older brother was given the inheritance, and he wants his half. Is that a big issue or a little issue? Well, this guy's a big issue, right? I mean, he decided to interrupt Jesus' teaching to talk to him about it. In light of hearing the Son of God teaching about the kingdom of God for eternity, is this little amount of money a big issue or a little issue? It's a little issue. But he couldn't see that because he was so blinded. And I wonder if we can get tripped up in the same way sometimes, so blinded by anger at what we consider to be an unfair situation that we act like a fool in front of the Lord, that we're completely unwilling to hear anything he has to say until he fixes a problem for you that you think is more important than anything else. Okay, so this is, we kind of started with a little bit of like, ooh, this is, we're getting, we're, we're really going at it right from the start, Pastor Mike. Here's the thing, here's what I want us to see. Because maybe this morning, you're like, whoop, that's me. Yep, I approach Jesus with my own agenda all the time. Uh, and maybe you're having a cringeworthy moment right now as you think about the ways that you've done that. Um, well, that's okay. This, here's what's important, is we need to see Jesus' response to this man. Because he doesn't do what you would expect him to do. Imagine that uh, you are uh, at, the governor of Indiana is giving a speech, and you're sitting there, you're one of the people who gets to be there and hear the speech, and somebody in the crowd in the middle of the speech raises their hand and says, hey, uh, Mr. Governor, uh, my neighbor, is, uh, he built a shed, and, and part of it is on my property. Can you tell him that he needs to move it? What would you expect the governor to do? Please sit down. I have more important things that I'm dealing with that is not for me to even talk about. That's not what Jesus does here. He doesn't dismiss him out of hand. Now, he does kind of dismiss him, right? What does he say first? He says, who made me a judge or an arbiter over you? Now, that's an interesting response, isn't it? Because is he the judge and arbiter over him? Yes, is Jesus the judge and arbiter over all of us? Yes, he is. So why would he say, who made me a judge or arbiter over you? Well, this is really interesting. Think about, let's think about, as we often do, the Old Testament and some of the key figures in the Old Testament. Who would have been considered a judge or an arbiter in the Old Testament? Think about Moses, right? Everyone brought their disputes to Moses, and uh, he was doing, or think about Solomon, right? The famous story with the threatening to cut the baby in half, right? These were disputes that these men would settle. And so what's Jesus saying here? Not that I don't have authority in your life. He's saying, I didn't come just to be a judge for your little trivial things that are going on. I'm a judge and arbiter over your heart. And what you have, and what we actually all have as he looked at the crowd and as he looks at us, is not just a property issue, it's not just a money issue, it's a heart issue. And so he tells a parable about money, but it's not really about money. You see that? 
It's about the heart issue that is revealed in the way we think about our stuff. And this is where, again, every single week, I'm just, as I'm studying these parables, I'm just blown away at the line level of thinking that Jesus is on that is just such a higher plane than you could even, he just goes these directions that you would never even imagine, and uh, we shouldn't be surprised by that uh, because he's the son of God. And so um, Jesus tells a parable to this man and probably his brother standing right next to him and to the whole crowd. And I'm going to read it again. I want us to hear what it says. It says, The land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, What shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you and the things you have prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. Okay, so why does he tell this parable after the man asked him, to tell his brother to share his inheritance. Well, let's figure out what's going on here. First of all, I'm going to do everything, everyone's favorite thing to do on a Sunday morning, grammar lesson. First in the sentence, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. What's the subject of that sentence? Somebody call it out. The land, what did the land do? Produced. Okay, produced. How did it produce? Plentifully. A lot of stuff. This is very important. The land is doing the producing, not the man. Now we can, in a farming community, we can kind of intuitively understand this a little bit more than most city folks, right? Like uh, we live in a very different day and age, farming-wise, than in Jesus' time. The John Deere X9 hadn't even been invented yet. It was still the 5000 series, I think, back then, right, Shane? Is that what? Yeah. I, I Googled all of that. I don't have any idea what I'm saying. If you think I just came up with that. But seriously, there's, today there's so much. We have a lot of like scientific precision that goes into seeds and, and pesticides and chemicals and everything else. And I don't know. I drive by Beck's at night and it's all lit up pink. I'm like, I don't know what kind of like dark magic's going on in there, but something. And, um, and yet farmers still know there's only so much you can do to affect your yield, Right? Uh, the land is going to produce it, and the Lord through the rain and all those things. And there are certain things we can try to do to obviously have a better yield. Um, so, uh, so take that kind of mindset and then transport it back then when there was none of that extra stuff, right? It was you plant your seeds and you pray. And that was it. And so what we have here is a rich man's land producing for him, and it's kind of like he won the lottery, and this is um, great news for him, and, uh, but he kind of has a problem. It's a problem. Maybe some of you are like, I wish I had this problem, and certainly get that. But he, he does have a problem, and he, so he says, what am I going to do? I, don't ha I have so many crops this year, I don't have anywhere to put them. And so he has an idea. I'll do this. I'll tear down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. What do you think? 
Good solution, bad solution. Well, we know that, I mean, we know that this is kind of the guy we're not supposed to be like in the story, so probably bad. Here, I'm going to read this again, and I'm going to emphasize different words, and I'm going to see if we can kind of pick up on what I think Jesus is doing. He's got all this grain, so the rich man says this, What shall I do, for I have nowhere to store my crops? And he said, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. Do you see what's happening there now? Those are little words in English so we can kind of miss them. That's very much what is in the forefront. I and my, I, my, me, my. The, the land of the rich man <laughs> produced. What's the rich man's response? I, me, my, I, this is all my stuff. That's how he thinks about it. He doesn't understand the source of his stuff. And because of that, he misunderstands the purpose of it. Was it a sin for his land to produce plentifully? No, he didn't have any control over that. It's like it wouldn't be a sin for it to not produce plentifully. Um, Where was the sinful attitude? And how he thought about the stuff that was given to him. These are my crops. These are my barns. This is all mine to do with whatever I please. And if you uh, don't see that in that previous verse, you'll see it right in the next one, verse 19. I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. If all this stuff is mine to do with whatever I want to do it with it, then uh, I'm just going to use all of it to make myself happy, and I can sit back and relax and just enjoy these next couple of years. And what does God think of the plan? Well, he actually, God enters the conversation in this parable. It's interesting because we've seen in the different parables, we have God figures, right? Like the uh, owner of the vineyard represents God, or the father in the parable of the father, Boy, I'm struggling this morning. The parable of the prodigal son. It probably means I'm talking too fast. The father in the parable of the prodigal son represents God. Here we just have God shows up. And he says to the man, fool, you've been foolish. This night, your soul is required of you. Uh, You're going to die tonight. You know the phrase, uh, eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow you die, right? The rich man got the eat, drink, and be merry part. He forgot about the tomorrow you die. And actually, God says, it's not, you don't even have till tomorrow. Tonight, your soul is required of you. And the things you have prepared, whose will they be? What's going to happen to all your stuff? What's going to outlast you? Nothing. Nothing. And then Jesus ends the parable giving us this lesson. So is the one who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And that's the story that Jesus tells this man who's interrupted his teaching to talk about his inheritance dispute with his brother. And uh, I don't think it's just for him. Jesus is speaking to this mindset of people viewing the things that God has given them uh, in, in a selfish manner and not being rich toward God. And I wonder even if this wasn't as much toward the older brother than the younger brother, 
both of them were, right? The, the younger brother so desperately wanted the inheritance. The older brother was desperately clinging to the inheritance. And uh, God says, don't lay up treasure for yourself. Be rich toward God. And uh, this morning, we, that's what we need to hear. Uh, we need to learn how to be rich toward God. Um, Jesus doesn't want us to be rich for ourselves. He wants us to be rich toward God. So how do we do that? How do we do that? There's five, five things in this passage that we see. The first is this, called to acknowledge the source of your blessings. Acknowledge the source of your blessings. The land produced plentifully for the rich man. And the rich man clearly thought that it was just, uh, he had done something to earn it. He failed to acknowledge that everything that he had came from God. And if you are going to be rich toward God, this has to be the first step, is acknowledging the source of where the things that you have come from. We, we uh, as a family, went to uh, Kokomo Beach yesterday. It was real hot. Uh, don't go there on a Saturday. It was really crowded. We were just like this in the pool. But uh, toward the end of the day, Owen's getting hungry, and so uh, we were going to get dinner at the end. He said he really wanted to go to the concession stand and said no, and then he said yes again. And said, okay, fine, I caved, and maybe I shouldn't have caved, but that's what happened. So I gave him a couple bucks, and he got some chips and uh, came back, and I asked him to give me a chip, and what do you think he said? No, they're mine. <laughs> Buddy, I just gave you the money two minutes ago. Like, you wouldn't have them if I hadn't given you the money. But no, they're mine. You can't have them. And, um, and uh, that's what we do, isn't it? Oh, man. It's mine, this stuff that I have that I don't really know how I have it if I'm really honest yeah, maybe I worked hard for it, but um, why was I born where I was born? Why was I given the opportunities that I was given? Um, because of God. And, um, and he's given me these things. And how often am I, do I feel the, the tug or the conviction to give in a certain way or just be less selfish? And I just, mm, no, it's mine, God. You can't have it. Oh, man. So we need to when, acknowledge the source of our blessings. And when I say acknowledge the source, it's not just like lip service, like, oh, yeah, everything I have came from God. <laughs> Acknowledging the source of our blessings means like unclenching our hands, <laughs> saying these things were given to me by God, and they're ultimately his. And so I'm going to first and foremost acknowledge him as the giver of all good things. And then when I do that, that leads right to the second thing that we need to do, which is, I see it on your screen here, seek his guidance. Seek his guidance. What did the rich fool fail to do when he had the problem of having all this stuff uh, uh, when the land produced plentifully? He just came up with an idea that was gonna benefit himself, right? Did he seek the Lord? Did he pray, God, I've been blessed with much in this season. What should I do with this extra stuff that I have? He did not do that, and, um, and he should have. 
and we should too. Some of you might be thinking, Pastor Mike, I'd love to have that problem. And sure, I'd pray if that happened to me. Sure, you want me to pray, I'll pray and ask God to do whatever. But I don't have that problem. I'm not even close to having that problem. Um, that's, that's not really the point. It's not a parable about what to do if you strike it rich. <laughs> it's, I guess it's part of that. So if, if you do strike it rich, then uh, this gives some wisdom on what to do. But that's not the point the point is, am I acknowledging where my stuff comes from, whether I'm in a time where the land produced plenty or whether I'm in a time where the land produced little? Am I acknowledging that all I have comes from the Lord and then seeking his guidance on what to do with the things that he has given me? And that's so important. And uh, I just think we need to cultivate that kind of attitude and mindset in the way that we approach God. And it might sound silly, like what if we all lived in such a way where like you, like you put on your winter coat from the year before, you found, find 20 bucks in there, like, oh God, what do you want me to do with this $20? <laughs> That's not how I, I'm like sweet Starbucks money or whatever, right? So, but like, what if we lived that way? <laughs> like, God, I want you to direct how I spend my money and my time and my resources and everything that you've given to me. Help me to acknowledge that it's from you and then seek your guidance on what to do. And maybe the Lord would have instructed him to tear down his barns and build bigger ones. It wouldn't have been just so that he could relax for the next couple of years and eat, drink, and be merry. We need to seek the Lord's guidance in all things great and small. And then when we do that, God helps us with the third way to be rich toward God, which is to be eternally minded. Eternally minded. Was this rich fool thinking long-term or short-term? Yeah, very short-term. Uh, oh man, this money's gonna make my life awesome for a couple of years. It's gonna be great. And then who knows, maybe I'll have another year like this in a couple of years and I'll be able to do it all again. What's the problem with that story? First of all, just even setting the, setting the selfishness aside of not thinking of other people, what was the problem with his plan of I'm going to use this money just to chill out for the next three to five years? What was wrong with it? Anyone? He didn't have that time. He had zero days left, actually. Oh, man. How often... Do we think about here and now when God wants us to be thinking about eternity? This is where the fool part of the rich fool comes in. God called him a fool because he's thinking about today and he actually didn't have today. The kingdom of heaven for him was coming sooner than he could have realized. And we're called to live in that kind of mindset. You cannot be rich toward God if you're just living for the here and now. We have to keep our eyes on the kingdom. Some of you are um, big campers, right? Who's been camping so far this summer? Raise your hand. A couple of you. Say you're going camping for a week. You got a campsite. Uh, and uh, first thing you do 
when you, uh, when you get your campsite is you call a construction crew in to start digging a foundation and pouring it and so you can start to build your house, right? Is that a smart thing to do? Or well, some of you are like, I hate camping. That's not really what I'm talking about. That's foolish, right? Why? What's the campsite supposed to be? A temporary residence. How often do we view this life, which is ultimately a temporary residence, as a place where we need to build an eternal dwelling? Do you hear what I'm saying? You need some stuff when you're camping, okay? You don't just lay there on the hard dirt, right? You need some sleeping bags. You need a tent. You need uh, some food, unless you're going to catch it yourself, in which case you need some instruments to do that. But you need some stuff. You just don't need to build a house, There's things we need in this world, but we need to remember what we're doing. We're camping in this world, and we're going to live in the eternal world forever and ever. So don't dig a foundation and build a home on your campsite. Build a tent there and build your eternal home in the eternal kingdom. Amen? Oh, man. This is how we're called to be rich toward God. To see all the things that we have as having been given to us by him and then seek his guidance on how to use those things now, ultimately realizing I got a home somewhere else that isn't just in this campsite. I got neighbors in this campsite and they might not have a tent. They might not have a sleeping bag. If I have extra, maybe I can help my neighbors. But I'm not thinking about the here and now. I'm thinking about my eternal home. Be eternally minded. Fourth, and when you do that, then you are now able to give generously. Do you see that? Giving generously doesn't just start from feeling guilty about having a bunch of stuff and, oh, maybe I should go help somebody else. You cannot give generously without first having a mind that is set on the kingdom of heaven kingdom of God. If you realize all that you have comes from God, if you seek his guidance, if you live with an eternal mindset, you're going to be able to give generously. Verse 32 of this chapter says this, fear not little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. What's the father going to give you? You guys listening? (laughs) What's the father going to give you? The kingdom. And is he going to be mad about it? It's his good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Because of that, what can you do? Sell your possessions and give to the needy. That's what Jesus says. Isn't that crazy? If God in the gospel is giving us everything, then we can be free to be radically generous. And this is hard to do because we can get so stuck thinking and living just for that campsite. We can be free because God's going to give you the kingdom. And he's already given you part of it when he gave you the Holy Spirit. Pretty soon you're going to have the whole thing. And we're all going to have the whole thing. And we're going to look at each other when we're in the kingdom. We're going to be like, can you believe this? This is amazing. Can you believe all that stuff we were worried about back then? You remember that? 
Remember when I lived in this house and I just really wanted to live in this house and that's all I could think about? Look at my house now! <laughs> you get it. Oh, we got to think about the kingdom. we got to give generously. And this man, this rich fool, only saw the blessings of God as something to just enrich himself rather than to give to those in need. And church, part of giving generously is giving to the church. And this is something that is such an important discipline for us to understand. It's something that we almost never talk about here at Rock Prairie. So if, if you're new with us, it's like, man, they talk about money a lot. We don't. But we do talk about living for the kingdom every single week. And there's implications about our whole lives that have to do with living for the kingdom. And one of those implications is the way that we spend our money. And um, we are, as a church, so blessed to be part of one of the most generous congregations I have ever been a part of. And I say that because every time we've come before you and said we are in financial trouble, which has been a couple of times since I've been here, the church has overwhelmingly responded. Several years ago, if you were around, we were able to pay off our whole debt for our building, which allowed us essentially to survive what happened in 2020. And God was so good to us. And uh, this church is so generous. Um, and uh, another blessing that I have as a pastor is I don't know what anybody gives ever. And it's wonderful. And it's true of all the pastors. And it's how it should be. So I never look at someone and think, well, this person only ties this much or this person, whatever. I don't even know. And I can't find it out. Like, um, and that's how it's set up. And again, and that's, that's a blessing for us. Um, but I, here's what I do want to say, church, is that um, when it comes to our regular giving as a congregation, it isn't there. We've had for the past several months, months that have been maybe less than you would expect, considering the, our church's history and the size of our church and uh, just the way our church has been growing. And uh, we're not in financial trouble at all right now. And, so this, and I didn't plan this service because of that. We're just talking about it because here we are in Scripture. So, I do, so here's what I want to say is as a church, I, we do not have a generosity problem at all. But what I do wonder is if we have, in some ways, a trust problem to say, I can be free to give regularly because I know God's going to provide. And if you want to learn about God's provision, read what Jesus said next in this chapter. Yeah, that's your homework for this week is to read the next, uh, the next chapter uh, or the, ne the rest of Luke chapter 12. Jesus said, I, uh, I feed the birds and I clothe the grass you're made in my image. You don't think I'm, you're worth more than me to me than that? And so I just want to say, church, here, here's just what I want to say, is if you have struggled um, to give regularly to the church and then to, to other things as well, like we talk about supporting missionaries, for example, the gospel not just being here but for the nations, um, I want you to just see, like, is this a heart issue and am I just afraid <laughs> Am I afraid that God isn't going to provide? And that's all of us, right? That's all of us. But if that's you, I just want you to just ask that the Lord, Lord, help me to acknowledge where my things come from so that I can seek your guidance in it. And then if you want me to give more than I'm giving, then just make it clear and help me to be obedient. Uh, some people use... Uh, 
the idea of a tithe of 10% of your uh, income going toward the church is uh, an Old Testament concept. I think it's a, a good concept. I wouldn't say it's binding on us as New Covenant believers. Uh, the New Testament uh, uh, understanding of giving to the church is simply generously, which is why I wrote give generously. And give generously looks different for all of us. Um, and so I just want to say it is, it is a blessing to be freed from the campsites so that you can use whatever God's given you for the kingdom. And, uh, and uh, so if you're not giving regularly just of your possessions to the Lord, uh, let me just encourage you to do that. And I think all of us, regardless of whether you make it a practice to give or not, can look at our hearts and just say, God, am I clinging to these things because they're mine and I want them and I'm going to have them? Or am I going to acknowledge that it comes from you and I'm going to offer these things back to you with a heart of thankfulness and generosity because I've been adopted as your son and I'm living in the kingdom. It is your good pleasure to give it to me, God. And it's going to be so much better when we can see it fully and completely inaugurated here on earth. So Lord, don't let me just live for this dinky little campsite because I got a home forever with you. Amen? Amen. And when we do that, we can do the last thing, which is to store up treasure in heaven. Store up treasure in heaven, not here on earth, in heaven. Verse 33, provide yourselves with money bags that do not grow old, with a treasure in the heavens that does not fail, where no thief approaches and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Do you see what Jesus has done? He's shown us all along it wasn't about the money, it wasn't about the inheritance, it's about your heart. Where you keeping your treasure, that's where you're keeping your heart, Jesus says. So if you're keeping your treasure here at the campsites, that's where your heart's going to be. If you're keeping your treasure in the kingdom of heaven and you're forever home, that's where your heart is going to be as well. We all are dragging this metaphor on too much, but we need camping supplies. Again, I wanna, we're not called to sell literally all our things and just like wander the streets of Tipton. Like there's that crazy Rock Prairie cult there just wandering around homeless uh, waiting for Jesus to come back. That's not what we're saying. We need camping supplies for sure. Um, we need some stuff to make it through our time. But don't sink your roots so deep there that you forget about your eternal home. And that's not going to happen without prayer. With the Lord chipping away the ways that we cling to the things of earth that need to grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. So let's pray and now let's ask that the Lord would help us to do just that. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, God, um, what a profound blessing it is to not have to fear if you are going to take care of us. What a profound blessing it is to be your people, to hear Jesus say to each one of us, I feed the birds every day. I give clothes to the grass, and you're so much more precious to me than that. I will provide. What a blessing, what a privilege. 
And God, we confess, even in spite of that blessing, we have taken that bag of chips and just grabbed onto it and said, no, this is mine, you can't have it. God, open our hands by opening our hearts to the true kingdom that will never fade away. Where there will be no thieves that break in. There will be no moths to destroy it. God, one day, we're going to hear from you. Tonight, your soul is required from you. May that not be a time of immense fear because we're about to lose everything that's so near to us. May that be a time of incredible joy because we're about to gain everything that we've so badly wanted our whole lives. And help us to live with that kind of mindset right now, with an attitude of generosity toward you and the things that you want us to give our money and our time and our possessions and our resources to. God, give us open hands. Pray in Jesus' name. Amen.